Hello and welcome to episode number 15 of a Tasket podcast. I'm your host Gina and today we will be taking a look at the nursery rhyme Jack and Jill. First, Jack and Jill riled folk song index number of 10,266. However, it is also filed under several other numbers because of different variations. Earlier versions of this nursery rhyme are known as Jack and Gill rather than Jill. And this nursery rhyme originated in the 18th century, first seen in a reprint of John Newberry's Mother Goose's Melody in around 1785. The Opie speculate that this nursery rhyme may date from the first half of the 17th century because of the rhyme of water. But they continue saying, claims that races of antiquity and mystery may be seen in the rhyme have received undue notice. They specifically mention this based on Reverend Baring Gold's scholarship, who attributes Jack and Jill to be a reflection of Henry VIII's men, as well as some weird Scandinavian ritual based on Jack and Jill's name. And originally, and this is seen in the wood-cut print in Mother Goose's Melody, the nursery rhyme featured two boys, Jack and Gill, at the bottom of the hill. It wasn't until further versions that added Jill, which added stanzas to the original nursery rhyme. A chapter book printed by James Kendrew in 1820 shows the further stanzas. To refresh your memory, here is the stanzas that I know, and this is would be from uh, Mother Goose's Melody. Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down and broke his crown, and Jill came tumbling after. Up Jack got and home did trot as fast as he could caper to old Dame Dob who patched his knob with vinegar and brown paper. So originally, I only knew the first stanza. However, printed in Mother Goose's Melody are two stanzas. The Kendrews version, which I just referenced from 1820, has a few more stanzas, and it reads, Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down and broke his crown, and Jill came tumbling after. Then up Jack got and home to trot as fast as he could caper. Dame Gill did the job to plaster his knob with vinegar and brown paper. Then Jill came in and she did grin to see Jack's paper plaster, her mother whipped her across her knee for laughing at Jack's disaster. I liked that version because I had a number of siblings and I could totally see that actually happening. So that version was from 1820, printed in a chapter book by James Kendrew. Further stanzas change the rhyme. And that's probably why it has a different Rowd Folk Song index number. But it turns what was the nursery rhyme, Jack and Gill, into a trochaic meter, which I've talked about in previous podcasts. So it's the rhyming scheme becomes A-A-B-C-C-B, and that, that makes it kind of an ideal for nursery rhyme thing easy to remember. Now, as for the names Jack and Jill, it comes from the generic names for a male-female pair. Also used in a proverb, and this appears in Shakespeare, every Jack shall or must have his Jill. And this is referenced in, I believe, Love Labor's Lost. So around the 1590s-ish. But every Jack shall have his Jill. 
There are other origins in newer versions, and Opie and Opie state that other people have theorized earlier beginnings of the nursery rhyme. Opie and Opie states that from the beginning of the 19th century, it formed one of the chapter book series, the story being extended to 15 verses, some of which I just read here. The second verse, which includes Jill getting swatted on the behind, is probably a legacy of this extension and not so old as the first, which alone appears in the 18th century recordings. The rhyming of water with after, water and after, in the first verse may be an indication that it dates from the first half of the 17th century. Claims that traces of antiquity and mystery may be seen in the rhyme have received undue notice. An origin theory put forward by the Reverend S. Baring Gold in Curious Myths of the Middle Ages, 1866, has been curiously often accepted. This verse, he said, which to us seems at first sight to be nonsense, I have no hesitation in saying has a high antiquity and refers to the Eidic Hijuki in Bill. The names indicate as much. Hijuki in Norse would be pronounced Juki, which would have readily become Jack in Bill for the sake of Euphony, and in order to give a female name to one of the children, would become Jill. Previously, it has been explained that in a Scandinavian myth accounting for the markings on the moon, Mani the moon captured two children, Hajuki and Bill, while they were drawing water. When the moon is full, the children can be seen with a bucket and a pole between them. According to Lewis Spence, Myth and Ritual, 1947, some ancient mystic ceremonies may have been traced in the rhyme. If only in that no one in the folklore sense climbs to the top of the hill for water unless the water has special significance. Dew water, for instance. Spence also recalls that the 18th century merriment in which boys and girls rolled down Greenwich Hill on Whit Monday. From a quotation in Townwinley Mysteries, Eckenstein considered that Jack and Jill were once known as superhuman beings. This inference may be doubted. Nor is it likely that the comedy Jack and Jill, mentioned in the Revels' accounts as having being played at court in 1567-1568, refers to the nursery rhyme characters. Most early quotations coupling Jack and Jill use the names in the general sense of lad and lass, e.g. Shakespeare's Jack shall have Jill, not shall go ill. The proverb, a good Jack makes a good Jill, in the nursery rhyme, I won't be my father's Jack. Now, I find the Scandinavian history a little bit far-fetched here. Again, I think scholars like to try to apply meaning to things when sometimes it's just nonsense. And I kind of refer to this in the Hey Diddle Diddle nursery rhyme I covered a few episodes back. But nevertheless, scholars have pondered what this nursery rhyme might mean, and really, we don't know. Now, beyond the nursery rhyme, there have been other publications, movies, stories, etc. that has used the name Jack and Jill. In 2011, there was a Jack and Jill movie starring Adam Sandler that got, like, one star, I think. IMDb gave it a 3.3 stars out of 10. So, I have not seen this movie. Don't really want to see the movie, but it shares the name with the nursery rhyme. Additionally, there is a magazine called Jack and Jill Magazine that was started in 1939, and I actually have a picture of the very first edition on the blog. The magazine is an American bi-monthly magazine for children 6 to 12 years old. It's through U.S. Kids magazines, and it promotes healthy education 
and creative growth for these children. Looks neat, looks like a cute magazine. Also, there is a chapter book by Louisa May Alcott, also famously known for writing Little Women, that is also called Jack and Jill. Jack and Jill is a popular name when it comes to publications, magazines, books, movies, etc. And again, just seems to be the general name for a male-female pair. Now let's talk about the music or melody of Jack and Jill. And I'm going back to referring to the nursery rhyme. Earlier in the episode, I noted that the very first printed version of Jack and Jill could be found in the later edition of Mother Goose's Melody in around 1782 or so. Curiously, however, there is an older musical arrangement of Jack and Jill written by Charles Burney in 1777, earlier than any copies of Mother Goose's Melody. Burney wrote Jack and Jill as a catch or music to be sung in a round. So think row, row, row your boat. It's a similar idea of singing it in a round. Now, I tried to find an audio clip of this, but I couldn't. I did find the sheet music of it, and you can easily find it online. But originally, Jack and Jill was sung as a round or a catch. To hear more contemporary versions of Jack and Jill, I'm going to play two renditions, both from the early 20th century. The first is from Columbia Stellar Quartet in R. H. Bowers. It was recorded in 1917. When I was looking up recordings of this poem, this quartet came up quite a few times when it comes to nursery rhyme compilations. Let's go ahead and listen to it now. jaunty, right? The second I will play is from a singer that I've played before, and that is Lewis James from his Mother Goose's song melody in 1922. Let's give this one a listen. Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down and broke his crown, and Jill came tumbling after. Up Jack got and home did trot as fast as he could caper. Went to bed to mend his head with vinegar and brown paper. Both of these renditions are from the 1920s or so and show the popularity of nursery rhyme recordings at that time. And I've mentioned this, I think, in last week's episode or the week before about how nursery collection recordings seem to be really popular around the 1920s. Those are a bit more modern renditions of Jack and Jill. And of course, if you search YouTube, you will find thousands of recordings of even more modern versions of the nursery rhyme. But now let's talk a little bit about the lyrics and the meaning behind the nursery rhyme, Jack and Jill. Now, when I read the lyrics, there were a few things that stood out to me that I wanted to learn more about. Mainly, I was curious about vinegar and brown paper. I had never heard that before. As it turns out, 
before the prolific use of ice for sprains. And remember, this is before home refrigerations and freezers, so ice was not readily available. People used vinegar as a poultice to draw out bruises. Brown paper was used to hold the vinegar as it would soak up the vinegar and not fall apart. You're not thinking like a brown sheet of paper. And in fact, this uh, brown paper wasn't really paper at all, but it was made of old rope, canvas, and other sacking. This poultice actually appears in Dickens' Nicholas Nickleby, published in 1839, so yet again another example of how it was used before the 19th century. Harvard School of Public Health quotes that this remedy was used all the way back in 5000 BCE in ancient Babylonia. So it, apple cider vinegar, you know, I hear it cures all wounds, but apparently it's very good to stick on a bruise. And that is what it's referred to and Jack and Jill. So the second thing that caught my attention from this nursery rhyme was questioning why in the heck were Jack and Jill going uphill to get a pail of water? Water obviously flows downhill, and it would make more sense if a well was at the bottom of the hill and the top. Scholars have a few theories about this. First, I want to point out to an XKCD webcomic that pokes fun at this. Now, if you haven't read any of XKCD, please go do so now. They have comics about everything. They're usually more science-bent, and they're hilarious. I will go ahead and post this comic on my blog so you can see it for yourself. It's basically someone questioning the hydrology of nursery rhymes. But moving on, the poem may refer to what's called a dew pond, which is an artificial pond at made at the top of a hill, and it's usually intended for grazing livestock. So they don't have to go to the bottom hill to drink. This type of pond was first published and discussed in 1865, found in the Journal of Royal Agricultural Society. It, in essence, is a clay basin that is allowed to fill with dew water or rainfall. Despite it being written about in the mid-19th century, archaeologists have found evidence of this type of pond much, much earlier, probably before BCE. Additionally, Speaking of ponds, scholars also believe the reason why Jack and Jill may trek uphill is for holy water or blessed water. There are a number of holy wells dedicated to Christian and Jewish saints. The Wikipedia article states that there are more than a hundred holy wells in Cornwall, each associated with a particular saint. By the way, a holy well does in fact predate Christianity. It doesn't just have to do with Christian or Jewish saints. The ancient Romans used to build shrine monuments near springs to celebrate water nymphs. Opie and Ophi reference that gathering water from the top of the hill may relate to the ancient Scandinavian rite, which I discussed about it being someone stealing from the moon and I thought it was a, a little bit far-fetched. And again, it is just a speculated reason. So when I first read this nursery rhyme, when I was researching it this time around, I had two questions. What the heck is vinegar and brown paper used for and why Jack and Jill were going uphill for water. And I'm pretty satisfied from what I found from research explaining these phenomena. Let's talk about what we've learned overall about the nursery rhyme, Jack and Jill. We first learned that the earliest version of printed version of this appears around 1785 in a reprint of John Newberry's Mother Goose. We know that Opie and Opie talk about how scholars have had some kind of nonsensical or 
nonsensical speculations about this nursery rhyme. They don't, they don't think it really has anything to do with Scandinavian folklore. And originally this nursery rhyme featured two boys, Jack and Gil, rather than Jack and Jill. And it was changed in later publications. And an example of this would be James Kendrew's 1820s version, which was a chapter book of Jack and Jill. We know that there are a number of added and additional stanzas to Jack and Jill, which may contribute to the fact that it has multiple route folk song index numbers. We've also listened to two versions of this nursery rhyme, both from around the 1920, but we also know that this nursery rhyme was actually a dance or a musical published way back in 1777 by Charles Burney. And we know that Jack and Jill actually was referenced all the way back as a proverb in Shakespeare's time. So the term Jack and Jill appeared in publication all the way back in the 1500s, but probably wasn't a nursery rhyme until the 1700s. And finally, we learned about the old fashioned remedy of vinegar and brown paper, brown paper being more of like old rope and canvas rather than the paper we know today. And we know that it was used all the way back 5000 BCE. We also learned that Jack and Jill were going uphill for water, as weird as that seems, probably to gather dew water from an artificial pond at the top of a hill, or maybe even perhaps going for the holy water at a well that was dedicated to a saint. Nevertheless, Jack and Jill is a popular nursery rhyme and I really enjoyed learning about it and researching it. Please see my blog for additional information in some of the beautiful illustrations of Jack and Jill, especially by Kate Greenway, which I've mentioned a few times. I've also shown some of the publication covers from Jack and Jill magazines, as well as the XKCD comic I reference in this podcast episode. Overall, thank you again for listening. I really appreciate your time and I hope you enjoy what you've heard on this week's episode of a Tisket Tasket podcast. If you have any questions or concerns, please feel free to visit my website at atiskettasketpodcast.com or email me at info Please feel free to let me know what nursery rhymes you would like to see next or ask any questions you have about nursery rhymes that I've covered in the past. Additionally, I would like to attend a conference on folklore at at the beginning of November, and I'm looking for financial assistance. So if you'd like to help me out, please feel free to visit my website, and there are links that you can donate and help me fund that project. But overall, I really love to study nursery rhymes, and I'll see you next week for for another episode of a Tasket podcast, where I can eat continue to talk about the weirdness of nursery rhymes.